0: Because of the coronavirus epidemic, and to respect social distancing guidelines, this episode of Civil Politics was recorded remotely over Zoom. Good evening, and welcome to Civil Politics, here on Valley Free Radio, WXOJLP 103.3 FM out of Northampton, Massachusetts. I'm Michael Dow, and I'm doing the show tonight on what is more or less our 8th anniversary. Maybe to the, not to the day, but pretty darn close. Uh, and I'm here with uh, my erstwhile co-conspirators and the people who dreamed up the show originally, uh, Sue Timberlake and John Roberts. Well, two out of Stay the there. three. Yeah, well, it's all your fault. And <laughs> Stefan, we miss you. Uh, do come back sometime if you feel like it, you know. uh, You know, leave the light on for you or something. Please
1: come on back. Baby, come back.
0: (laughs) So, and uh, we're also, we've got a pretty special episode here. Uh, This is another one of our uh, uh, upcoming election specialty thingies. Um, And what makes this one rather different is... We have a return candidate guest. Uh, uh, Welcome back, uh, Yvonne Gittleson. Thank Um, you. I'm so happy to be here. Yeah. Ms. Gittleson, if you you may recall, was on our show two months ago and uh, is still running to be the New Hampshire County Sheriff uh, and is still currently the uh, Corrections Program Director at the Department of Education. Uh, and you worked for several years at the Hampshire County uh, Sheriff's Office before switching to the Department of Education. And uh, you, uh, well, in the primary election in September, you got, what uh, What was it, 30, 26% of the vote to uh,
2: yes. 27%? Yeah. Yes, yes, right, right around that.
0: Correct. You got 26%. And uh, uh, Caitlin Sapita got, I think, twenty four or twenty
2: five. Yep. And,
0: and between uh, and between the ahead. two of you, that's fifty percent, which is more than what incumbent Michael Kayalane got.
2: Yes, so, I think the between the two of us, we totaled fifty two percent, and he mm. ended up with forty eight percent. So that's how we ended Forty eight point
0: one, up, yeah, yeah, right. yeah. So, uh. First past the post, Mr. K. Lane, uh wound up uh, winning the primary quite handily. And that is typically the end of things. But uh, you have decided that, uh, well, that's not going to be the end of the campaign for you. And you are now running to be a write-in candidate for this office. Uh, so other than, you know, thwarted ambition and bruised ego and general cussedness, you know. All the 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 the, you know, obvious negative reasons why someone might carry this on. Why are you uh, doubling down and carrying on and uh, uh, still trying to uh, uh, unseat Mr. Kaling?
2: Because of exactly the results that you just clarified, more people voted not him than voted for him. So. Knowing that it was a three-person race and knowing that the two challengers split the majority of the vote, I thought, well, uh, what would happen if it were a two-person race? And that is my goal. And considering the fact that a majority of people in his own party did not choose Mr. Kaelin, I think... The impetus for change is there. And a number of folks reached out to me immediately afterwards and said, look at these results. They're crazy. Please don't go away. Um, Let's do a write-in. So here we are.
3: Hmm. You know, in some states, they do a runoff when that happens, but not this state. Right. Because nobody got over 50%. Yeah, or ranked choice voting would would handle that, which... I think yes. everybody on our show is in favor of rank choice. Oh, definitely. Ranked, yeah, so, Exactly. Yeah. So it's a, it's a problem with the way that works.
1: I mean, with the way it if,
3: plays out. Yeah. Yes. Just
1: the, in general, uh, the, um, rank choice voting is, is really, really the way to go in a lot of cases, uh, and runoffs, obviously. Uh, we can see that here. We can see that in Brazil, you know, they're going to have a run, a runoff for, um, Bolsonaro versus uh, Luna Luda. In, in like a couple weeks. But um, I just want to say that even though that we are all in favor of ranked choice voting, that doesn't mean that we are saying that you would have won handily or something like that. The sh- uh, sheriff nope. Kaling could have could have uh, still won uh, with ranked choice voting. Yep. I just want to put that in there. Uh, uh, or, or Ms. Cepeda. Might or have Ms. Sapita, uh, That's yeah, correct. Who knows? Right? <laughs> and does um is um i think i read in an article a little while ago that uh uh, uh miss was uh supporting you in your in your run is that true
2: not overtly i've i've offered her the opportunity publicly on several occasions to join the campaign but she has not and also privately we've uh conversed privately about this but she has not uh, overtly chosen to support me or anyone else.
1: Oh, my and, mistake. Uh, I, I apologize.
2: Yeah, yeah. Um, or perhaps just the fact that I that I made the offer is mm. is maybe what stuck with you. Yeah, um, that's that's probably
1: the, what it is. Yeah.
2: <laughs> in the Hampshire um, debate that we had, I think she made it pretty clear that the campaign process was fairly distasteful to her that she did not enjoy the campaign at all that she was, you know, committed to the ideas and certainly wanting to make change and certainly wanting to see a difference, but that, um, political campaigning was not, was not her cup of tea.
1: Yeah. it's not you for have everyone. A
2: tough
3: skin. Yeah. yeah, it's really, it, and once you go through it, there's a time after you've lost that most people need to recover. And you'll see that even in presidential campaigns, you know, when Mm -hmm. Gore lost, he, you know, stood up and did what he did. And then he and his wife, you know, took off for a month to just, you know, regroup just to. Yes. Yeah, it's tough. It's really hard. Right.
2: Because there's all this energy, right, focused toward this, this goal, this date, this outcome. And then. Right there, then there's nothing.
1: Yeah. Um, yeah.
2: And then there's disappointment, and then there's the "woulda, shoulda, couldas," right? What What if I had done this differently? And what if I had done that differently? And um, so there's always a lot of that. But nonetheless, I I think a number of events have taken place since the primary, even that have made it clear clearer than ever that we need a change in the Hampshire Sheriff's Office. And so I hope we're gonna chat about some of those fun events.
0: Well, before we, we get to that, I, I did just want to, um, uh, you mentioning how, uh, uh, Nisbeta may have been very, uh, disenchanted with the electoral process. Um, so the, the sheriff's office, a big, uh, like, like the lion's share of its duties are essentially, uh, uh, Are custodial uh uh it's basically the short-term stuff but it's it's basically the stuff that the massachusetts department of corrections does so really like we could abolish the office of sheriff as a elected position and just fold all of these duties into the you know state bureaucracy that is the department of corrections and Mm -hmm. then you know people who want to do these important jobs wouldn't have to be running for office in order to get them.
2: That's a really interesting proposition. Um, So and I think that this is a leftover legacy from probably uh, the 17th century. (laughs) Right. Pretty, pretty much where mass general law says that every county shall have a correctional facility and a sheriff. So, and in fact, I think that's, I got that backwards. Every county shall have a sheriff and a correctional facility. And um, so the sheriff is the highest uh, elected law enforcement officer in the county, but you're right to draw that distinction between law enforcement and the custodial responsibilities that sheriffs now have. And I do think you raise a really interesting point about whether or not this should be perhaps an appointed position or one of a simple um civil service right well and what do we
0: didn't the state basically abolish the, the the counties as a as legal entities like it did. 10 years ago right so it i did. mean just the, there's a hampshire county sheriff but there isn't really a hampshire county anymore
2: you like, are ex- exactly right. And people who work at the Hampshire County Jail are state employees, not county employees.
0: So yeah, I I I think there's a there's a there's a level of redundancy here that we don't need. And um uh again, I so uh w- civil politics, we don't want to be like, you know. Saying like, oh, you know, vote for this person, don't vote for that person. You know, uh, we we had a real debate about whether or not we should invite you back on the show, but we just thought this is such an interesting and unusual political story. We really do have to have you back just to talk about what you're doing and why. And certainly, the county sheriff's office is, uh, well, we've come to realize just that this how important it actually is to uh, uh, local affairs and local politics. So it's some, it's something that we're going to be paying more attention to going forward. Um, but, uh, you know, we didn't want to have you on just to endorse you and, you know, and, and and denigrate, uh, uh, the incumbent sheriff, Michael Kay you know, like, uh,
2: I don't feel endorsed and I don't think he feels denigrated. So I,
0: I I hope not. And we have invited him to come back to the show. (laughs) He right. uh, yeah. he hasn't yet accepted, but uh, I I hope he will. Uh, and uh, yeah, yeah, you know, I just I just wanted to put that out there for our listeners. Like like um, whatever the personal uh, uh, thoughts or 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 preferences of us as as people. Like on this show, we are trying to be even handed and to put information out there for our our listeners to make up their minds about. Anyway, so thank you. Well, thank you. So I say all that. So now um, what has come up since the primary that you feel at, lends urgency to your campaign? Um, um, yeah.
2: Before I jump into that answer, I do I do want to um, say a piece about the politician versus public servant. Right. Piece of it. Yeah. Uh, far away. That di- dichotomy. I don't enjoy the politician piece of it at all. Uh, I, I would agree with that. That although I very much enjoy meeting people, telling them about the office, telling them about what's possible, explaining what goes on, because I think it's a really fascinating little corner of our county. And the vast majority of folks in Hampshire County have no idea what goes on in the jail Mm. or the sheriff's office in general. And once they begin to explore it, they're pretty interested in it. So uh, that part is, is really, really cool. I've enjoyed that going to the different towns, meeting a variety of different people. That part has been really, really fun. The Mm. political, the running for the office, the worrying about, you know, am I making headway? Am I, am I gaining votes? Am I turning people off? I don't enjoy that part of it at all. Really all I want to do is I just want to get to work. I just want to get in there and do the job. That's, that's who I am. So, Uh, That's what I'm really looking forward to and, and hoping to do. But to come back to the question you asked is, you know, what has happened and what is continuing to drive the campaign? So right before the primary, the big news that broke was the story of the former deputy spying on and taking pictures of a lawn sign for the other challenger, Ms. Cepeda, in front Mm -hmm. of his home and that was documented and a police report was filed and then a few days later a subsequent police report was filed because the deputy went back and the Mm. police officer in that town which was i think i can name the town southampton um discovered that the deputy was there and they had a conversation which was not um cordial as I understand it, and a subsequent police report was filed. And because that information was so alarming to so many people, the fact that this person who is paid by taxpayer dollars in the middle of the day, left her desk at the jail, went to this lieutenant's home, took a picture of this lawn sign for the other challenger and, um, and, and
0: driving a state vehicle while doing it,
2: correct. Driving her state vehicle while doing it, this this I think blew everybody's head off that this was going on. And then, as the report came back, and Mr. Kaye Elaine was asked to comment on this, he claimed to have no knowledge of where his deputy was, or and he claimed that he does not micromanage her whereabouts and uh, thought it would be a uh, bad practice to do so but I can tell you I want to speak to that issue because DOC safety standards require that every jail person must every employee of the jail must be accounted for at all times and let me tell you why if there were to be a fire inside the facility and they did not know whether or not the deputy was on-site or off-site, firefighters might still be going into that building looking for her if they had no idea of her whereabouts. Mm -hmm. I can tell you that when I worked there, when I left, we had to sign in and sign out. In fact, we punched a clock. So that idea of him claiming not to know her whereabouts, I have a hard time believing that. And I have a hard time believing that he had no idea what her activities were about as well. well.
0: So just a DOC, Department of Corrections guidelines. So the Department of Corrections guidelines for the state, um, the, the sheriffs have to follow those even though they are independent of the Department of Corrections?
2: Correct, and that's a really insightful um, comment to make because on the one hand sheriffs well, have <laughs> <laughs> you're welcome on the one hand, sheriffs have ultimate authority over their facility, but they answer to the DOC and when it comes to standards of safety, compliance, treatment of people in custody, all the various regulations that a correctional facility must follow, that all comes under the DOC. Uh, there are other agencies that also monitor facilities for compliance, like the Department of Public Health, for example. Um, the Department of Education monitors for compliance to its grant funding, for instance. But mm. for all of those different agencies, the, the big dog is still the Department of Corrections. And yes, that is standard facility policy. If you go off-site, you have have to at the very least. So, for example, even for lunch, um, every employee, if they are allowed off site for lunch, security officers are not, correctional officers are not allowed off site for lunch, but mm-hmm. non correctional staff are allowed off site. They need to tell their supervisor so their supervisor knows where they are. So, not you, just,
0: hey, I'm going out for lunch, but I'm going right. out for lunch to Joe's Pizza or whatever.
3: Co- correct. And, oh, um, okay. Yeah. Is so, is there somebody in the chain of command between uh, it, the sheriff, the current sheriff said that they were a special sheriff, which was the acting is, sheriff? There is a so special is there, sheriff. In between, are they in between the sheriff and the, the deputy we were just talking about? Is there somebody in the in between them? Do you know or? That's a that's a good that, question. And and it's
2: open to. Does it depend? In, Yes, it does depend. And so a special sheriff in a different county facility might have different roles and responsibilities than uh, this person in Hampshire does. Right now, the special sheriff is a part-time employee. The idea of a special sheriff is that if it's a little bit like the vice president, if something were to happen very suddenly, that the sheriff was is unable to fulfill duties, the special sheriff would step in. Uh, interestingly enough, when Sheriff Boyle died while in office, he had a sudden—I believe it was a cardiac event—and died in office. Then I—I I don't I don't know because I wasn't around then for for this to know the the history. I don't know if there was a special sheriff, but at that point, then the governor stepped in and appointed. Uh, then County Commissioner Garvey to the position of sheriff to fill out the rest of Sheriff Boyle's term, and then this, Mr. Garvey uh, ran for election on under his own steam oh. the next several
3: but terms. Interesting. So the deputy isn't second in in a line sense. Well, because they don't. They,
2: they don't are, but they are to be
3: the sheriff. They, yeah, they, they can't are, be the sheriff. They,
2: they are, but they aren't. Here's how I would describe it: the deputy, or it can be the superintendent. And in the case of the Hampshire County Jail, there has either been a superintendent in place or a deputy, but never, but not both of those, typically, because oh, that would be a little, a little bit of overkill. But they they essentially serve the same functions: the deputy or the superintendent. Is essentially the day-to-day CEO of the jail. Whereas the sheriff is more of the political persona. Policy side. Jail. And yep. that's and that's yep. how that's how Sheriff Garvey uh, divided the roles anyway. So he played he more of, of the po-
3: facilities.
2: Correct. And he played more of the politics game. And he was, he had the gift of gab, and he was. Uh, very gifted socially and and liked meeting people and got along very, very well. And at that time, Mr. K. Lane was the deputy and was the day-to-day manager of the jail.
0: Hmm. Okay. Interesting. <clears throat> so the yep. person who uh, uh, was photographing people's lawn signs and had to resign uh, yep. after the scandal broke yep. was the day-to-day administrator of the correctional facility. Yes. The house, the house of corrections. Okay. Yes. All right. So obviously that was uh, that was embarrassing. Um, uh,
3: I, I saw yeah. a note that said the FBI got involved. <laughs> in not that with, case, not with that. Yes.
2: the F, The FBI is. Uh, I, I'm unaware of that. In any case, if you, if you know something I don't know, please uh, enlighten us. But my understanding there was a is that letter.
3: A letter. Yes. There. So, uh, let me just. Assist. Sure. So the letter, the letter, um, which I, somebody sent me a copy of it. Sorry, I should have mentioned it. I, I figured you knew about it. Um, the letter said that uh, the person who wrote the letter, it was their brother that was in the woodworking shop, and that they mm-hmm. got visited by an FBI agent who left the card, and then they spoke to them.
2: Correct. About the so, woodworking. so but woodworking. those are two separate, those are two separate um episodes. So the thing True. with the deputy True. the thing with yeah, the thing with the deputy and the spying on staff, I have no knowledge of the FBI having any interest in that yet. Um, so I don't think the FBI is involved with that. The FBI is interested and did show up as a result of that letter, which showed up in the Gazette, where someone wrote about her brother's experience. And I was there when her brother was there. And I recall the work that he did. He did beautiful work. And she wanted people, and he wanted people, she asked his permission to be able to describe his experience. But uh, she wanted people to know Uh, What his experience was there, which is that he felt as though he was used uh, for essentially factory labor for the benefit of senior staff while he was there, during which time he made some beautiful furniture and beautiful pieces. And I believe he also made uh, the kitchen countertops for the previous sheriff's vacation home in Maine. And this has, right. And this has, yes. And And this uh, has, has,
0: and how much was the inmate paid for all that?
2: 15 cents an hour.
0: Right. By the state,
2: by the state, by the state with the wood having been either donated Um, or the wood having been uh, provided by whoever the project was being made for. Hmm. And when um, Ms. Lombard wrote that letter on behalf of her brother and wanting to share her brother's experience, her concern, of course, was that he was not... um, Although that wood shop was often presented as though it were a training opportunity, he was not ever given any further um, training in woodworking skills, nor was he presented with the opportunity to teach anybody else woodworking skills while he was there. He was essentially just put to work as factory labor, making nice furniture for senior staff. So I know he made some a, a pair of uh, baker's racks, uh, some nice shelving units, a very fancy dog crate. I re- recall seeing a bunk bed desk combo, like for a child. Uh, did make he make anything ma- for you? Uh, he made really nice stuff. Um, here's, here's what he did do. Uh, so the quick answer to that is, yes, he did. He also made gifts for some of the staff members and for another teacher in the education department. And he was also taking uh, classes with us. And for me, he made um, a small jewelry box out of leftover wood scraps. Oh, so he did do that. And and, um, and did you
0: request that he do that or did he do that? I, I
2: without did not. you asking? Okay. I, I did not. He he made those as gifts of appreciation when, as he was getting ready to get released.
3: Hmm.
0: Okay. Well, uh, that's certainly uh, uh You can certainly see why the FBI would be interested in that. And well,
2: uh, yeah, we're, yeah, we're actually sure.
0: just at right at the uh, the halfway point of the show. So okay. let's let's put a pin in that. We'll play sure. some PSAs, promos, and station IDs and keep the FCC okay. happy. And we'll come back to, uh, well, what, whatever the point you were about to make about the <laughs> that issue and the FBI's investigation sure. when we come back. But uh, this is Civil Politics here on Valley Free Radio. Please don't go away. We'll be right back.
2: to evidence-based radio science and skepticism from a feminist and socialist perspective every week we explore the interesting and important stories in science with a focus on the positive friday nights from six to seven on valley free radio 103.3 fm or at evidence that's six to seven p.m fridays on valley free radio and
0: we're back with Civil Politics here on Valley Free Radio, WXOJLP 103.3 FM out of Northampton, Massachusetts. I'm still Michael Dow. I'm still doing the show with Johnra and Sue, and our special guest, Yvonne Giddelson, who is still plugging away trying to get elected to be the Hampshire County Sheriff. Um, so uh Ms. Gittleson, uh you were we were talking about uh uh allegations about uh 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 it, about uh, prison employees or or hampshire county uh sheriff's employees uh taking advantage of a skilled woodworker who was in custody to get cheap furniture or home improvements um and uh the stuff you've been mentioning uh you know uh, just just to be clear uh uh your are you speaking with like you have direct knowledge or you have evidence or just, that's your understanding. It's possible. You know, are are you, are you in effect making specific claims or, or allegations or are you just expressing your general understanding?
2: Um, well, I was there at the time that Ms. Lombard's brother was there. I saw the furniture that was referenced in the letters that, she mm. in the letter that she um, sent into the Gazette. So I mean, I know how it worked. I know how it was explained because I was shown the woodshop and I met her brother,
1: mm.
2: and it, I it was uh, under understood. And in fact, I I will agree with this piece that Mister Kaelin said when he was asked to respond to the situation. Um, he is correct in saying that he did not exclude any staff member from participating in the opportunity to get this furniture. Hmm. So anyone could have put in a bid for this right. kind of this kind of stuff, and,
0: which doesn't uh, exactly, <laughs> you know, isn't exactly correct. a uh, stunning. Yeah. That, that wasn't the
2: point Ms. Lombard was making. <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah, exactly. The, yeah. That yeah.
2: wasn't the point her brother was making either. No. Um, so when Mr. Kaelin says, you know, basically he didn't discriminate against any employee from taking advantage of this person in custody that that's correct. Cause I can tell you that was explained to me like, Oh, by the way, if you want something, you know, this is how it works. And I said, Oh, okay. thank, Thanks. But, mm. um, you know, no. Uh, I, I, modern I, slavery. I, exactly. And that that was yeah. her point. So very recently, yeah. um, attorney David Hoos also wrote a letter to the Gazette in which he took issue with this having come up for public discussion. Mm-hmm. And he described it as a five-year-old gripe. I can tell you that that is not how it came up. And no one, neither Ms. Lombard nor her brother, reached out to the FBI. It was exactly the opposite. She posted a letter to the Gazette. It was a letter endorsing me, but I would say three quarters of it was about her brother's experience while in custody there. And then at the very end, she said, because Yvonne understands education and vocational training programs, I encourage you to vote for Yvonne Forchera. That letter was published about within a week. She came home to a card in her door from an FBI agent saying, please call me. Uh, We would like to speak to your brother and to you about this experience. And she reached out to her Hmm. brother, asked if it would be okay if she spoke to the FBI and asking him if he was willing to speak to the FBI, which he did. He spoke mm. to them and she spoke to them. And I can also share with you that um, she shared this process with me and told me and asked also if it would be OK if she gave the FBI my name, uh, letting them know that I likely had more information to share with them. And I said, sure, go ahead. And she did that, so she wanted my permission to do that. And in the process of speaking to her, she did say um, because I, I asked her point blank, I said, "Lily, do you think that it was this issue of the woodshop that brought the FBI out to speak to you?" And she said, "No, I, I came away with the understanding that they are casting a wide net. Hmm. So it wasn't it wasn't this little issue. And and in fact, my response to her was." Also, along the lines of, well, in my experience at the Hampshire County Jail, in the scale of, you know, problems there, if I were to put this one on a scale of of one to 10, I don't think this would rise even to the top three. I I would put other issues even higher than this. So I'm thinking that the FBI has some, some other fish to fry.
0: Well, and that may be, but uh, let, uh,
2: but we don't that, know that yet, right? Yes. I,
0: I just like I, I yeah, I don't want to. I don't want to, uh, you know, you know,
2: disagree with
0: you. But this right, is right. this is indeed speculation, and right. uh, uh, yeah, <laughs> uh, I have to say what I. Our heard listeners can FBI. take that with as much salt as the as <laughs> they want, because at this point we just have. Uh, well, we, we just have. Uh, a letter to the Gazette and the FBI, talking to that person, and that's all we have.
3: So. Well, and I, I have to say, I was surprised that the FBI. I thought maybe somebody called somebody who knew somebody at the FBI because it seemed like this wasn't an FBI. It's was more like a, a you know correction officer policy. You know, I would, I you would more expect the Department of Corrections to be chasing it down. You know, and right. saying, look, you need to not do this anymore. And, you know, what are you going to do to change the policy? And what's the corrective act? You know, just an internal um, operational thing. By the way, speaking of internal operations, uh, Yvonne, um, have you ever fired somebody or re-engineered a department? Or Because some of that's what happens, right, in organizations when you make changes. I'm just sure. curious if you have some experience with that.
2: I I do. And, uh, it's never pleasant. Um, it's always difficult. It's always time consuming. It's always, um, you know, for anyone with, um, any sense of humanity, it's, it's, it's gut wrenching. Uh, nobody ever wants to do that, but nonetheless, if someone is not capable of performing the job for which they are hired, sometimes difficult decisions have to be made and yes i have gone through that process and it's it's hard um but necessary for the health of the agency because as the head of an agency if you allow poorly performing individuals to stay on and they are never disciplined or removed then essentially you set that bar right there and yeah. You know, your better functioning employees say, "Well, if that's acceptable here, then that's all I'm going to do." And that becomes—why am I working this hard? Exactly, and that becomes a self fulfilling prophecy. And your better employees will leave, and that is exactly what has been happening at the Hampshire County Jail because now they are missing a superintendent, a deputy, a head of security. An HR director and numerous other key personnel, as well as uh, rank and file correctional officers, who say I I, I can't stay here. You know the the, the bar is too low. Uh, my my hard work is not being rewarded. And in particular, so this was an issue that I I brought up and uh, during the debates, I spoke about nepotism and I spoke about mm-hmm. this current sheriff having brought in uh, people of his acquaintance and giving them jobs over and above other people who have been working in the facility for some time. And that's a real morale killer. And that's exactly what's going on at the Hampshire County jail now. So I know for a fact that there are people there who've been working there for 10 or 15 years, hoping for good promotions. And when someone gets brought in from the outside and they are given a job because they are friends with the sheriff, that's what makes good employees leave, and you know the, the rule of management is em- employees don't quit companies or agencies; they quit managers. And I, I think that's exactly what's been happening now. Are, are
0: is is the Hampshire House of Correction is that a is it a unionized uh, work site? Because uh, normally, like in unionized shops, yep. it's hard to sort of do that kind of thing because there's the, rules and. Yep. So
2: So there is the manager. Yes, there is one. There's one union, and that is for rank and file correctional officers and sergeants,
1: Hmm.
2: anyone who is above that in rank, including lieutenants. And that comes back to the issue because it was a lieutenant that was uh, spied on. That was the subject of the police report. Uh, Hmm. What made his position so precarious was the fact that he's not union protected. And as a result oh, is that of that, incident, mm. yes. And as a result of uh. that, um, he the lieutenants have now since begun efforts to unionize at the Hampshire County Jail, which I fully support, by the way. Mm. So that is what made it so concerning, and I think that that is what was part of uh, the decision to file a pro- police report and to make this issue public. And by the way, as a result of that incident. Both Ms. Sapita at the time and I filed uh, complaints on the record with the State Ethics Commission for that practice having, having taken place. Hmm. So the other, but to answer the rest of your question, Michael, uh, the rest of the staff is not unionized. They are represented by bargaining agencies, which I can tell you because I was in one. Uh, are essentially powerless there ah. and and grant funded <laughs> employees are not even protected by the bargaining agencies, whatever that protection means. And they have fewer uh, privileges and benefits than sheriff's employees. There's quite a dividing line between grant employees and sheriff's employees. And the goal was always if you were a grant employee, to become a sheriff's employee because um, because it was just generally better. There's only one instance where it's not better to be a sheriff's employee, and that's in the instance of furloughs, which many of the non-correctional officer staff were furloughed in the immediate aftermath of the COVID pandemic shutdown. I was furloughed mm. as as uh, as well. We were furloughed for 12, 12 weeks at 20%. Hmm. Oh, wow. Yeah. Huh. So in that case, um, grant employees were not furloughed. So they were still grant funded and um, that uh, that's the rarest there. where, where it was not better to be a sheriff's employee, but did I can you give you some. You, thank you. Go ahead.
3: Oh, I'm sorry. My yeah. phone had a little delay, so I apologize. Um, so did, Did you have to use or were you given the option to use um, like your vacation time or holiday time? Or did you just have to get the numbers down because they had to make the money?
2: Um, Right. So here's the interesting thing. It it was a little bit of uh, like, you know, borrowing from Peter to pay Paul. We were furloughed by the sheriff's. Uh, We were furloughed from the sheriff's budget to the tune of 20 percent but we were allowed to uh, get about half of that back by filing for unemployment. So this, the state. uh, That's so
3: different. Oh my goodness. Yes. And and that was PPP. Right. And that was a huge, that was a huge
2: rigmarole to have to go through. I I have, I have to say. Um, And and, yeah, we all had to do that individually if we wanted to recoup that loss.
0: But I mean yeah. that 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 makes sense from the sheriff from the op perspective yep. of the the sheriff because yep. it's like I have this pile of money and I need to cut down I need to externalize these costs and right. sure it'll all come from the state but whatever it's not yep. from the actual pile of money that's allocated to me
2: correct it's not out of my bank account right right yeah
3: right it's cost shifting yes. so again it,
0: it, if we were to you know, fold the sheriff's offices into the Department of Corrections, that would be uh less of a thing.
2: One would assume because the Department of Corrections is fully unionized, as I understand it. Every single employee in the department in the state prison system is union protected.
0: Well that and also there wouldn't be the issue of uh well, we're going to furlough these people because, yeah, they can get most if not all of the money back, but it's coming out of a different state bank account that I don't have to care about.
3: Well, there's unemployment insurance, so it's just from the insurance companies. So nobody yeah. minds burning them, right? Just kidding. Yeah. <laughs> I mean Unemployment <laughs> insurance. I mean, right. I'm not
0: a huge fan of uh, uh, insurance companies, <laughs> but, but uh, yeah, let's not, let's yeah. not blow them up <laughs> for no reason. All right. Yeah. Wow.
3: So as By the, the way, wh- go ahead. <laughs> I was going to say, if, if you're successful, do you know when, do you become sheriff immediately or is it in January or it's, no, it's ma'am. later, is right? It, it's-
2: yes, it is January. It's a little like the president getting sworn in in January. I believe it is the first, if I'm not mistaken, it's the first Wednesday in January is the swearing so
3: in so there's a transition period because i know some offices it, it's meet, yeah but there's a transition Correct. interesting you were going to ask me a question as the sitting conservative uh um no <laughs> I, I, I was not <laughs> oh sorry <laughs> yeah i thought you were going to harass me about you know tormenting the insurance companies or something oh no
2: no no <laughs> no 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 um i did want to follow up on on one quick thing though since you had asked whether or not the current sheriff had received any furniture as a result of that that woodworking thing i did want to point out something else if you go on the sheriff's uh facebook page you will have to scroll back to uh at some point during the spring and you'll see the sheriff giving out cutting boards to people who were part of the um, children's trust, who are the folks who fund the Nurturing Fathers program. and these cutting boards were made in the very same wood shop that is the subject of this you know whole previous episode that we were just talking about. But mm-hmm. I want to point out that two staff members and one imp- uh, one person in custody, as I mm-hmm. understand it, had a role in making those cutting boards. So that has raised a number of questions for some people as to why uh folks who make pretty significant salaries are making cutting boards that the sheriff then gives as thank you gifts to people who provide funding for another program in the jail.
3: Oh, interesting, yes. So
2: the question many times as I was there, the question of taxpayer dollars and taxpayer salaries and how they are being used were questions that I contemplated myself or raised with other people and had a hard time understanding how these things were okay because every year we would go through a conflict of interest training and there are an awful lot of conflicts that seem to come up on a regular basis there.
1: Can yeah, I and, ask? Oh, sorry,
0: Mike. Well, I was just going to say, and you mentioned uh, that uh, Mr. Kalan's predecessor, Sheriff Garvey, was actually uh, 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 sanctioned or found in violation of ethics uh, codes Correct. by the state because he had inmates build a tennis court at his house?
2: Yes. I don't know that they built it, but they did some work for it. and And you can Google that. That's, that's fact. You can, that'll come right up.
3: And he was trained as a social worker, right? Garvey was actually a social worker. He
2: was, you might be confusing him with Sheriff Ash down in Hamden County. He was the social worker. Sheriff Garvey was the educator, which is another reason why, why I thought, you know, I would be the perfect person to be the education sheriff. And I'm, you know, following in some well-trod footsteps, I like the fact that Sheriff Garvey brought a very new uh, idea of what a sheriff should be, because previously sheriffs always came from law enforcement or security type backgrounds. And this idea that a sheriff could be an educator or a sheriff could be a social worker, I I think it's transformative. I, I really do. If you think of the idea of what is correction, right, but correcting course, and that's got to involve some education right learning from past experience and choosing to do differently so
0: so do you have now or will you get a tennis court at your house
2: (laughs) (laughs) Uh, no and no and and um a i don't i don't play tennis I've, i've got terrible knees um but no that's that's not my thing
1: all right, so like to, uh, right. Okay. I'd like to Go ahead, John. <laughs> gears a little bit. <laughs> sure. And talk about the um uh go back to your decision to to run a um a writing campaign. Um yes. how difficult do you think this is going to be for you?
2: I think it is going to be a challenge because it's not as easy as someone simply checking the box next to my name. So I have to ask people to assertively put my name in there. If So that's one piece of it. If you're asking about the mechanics of a write-in campaign, so we actually have gotten some good news from the various registrars of voters, which is that I've asked a couple of very specific questions. If someone <laughs> misspelled my name, will that automatically disqualify a vote for me? And what uh, several of the town clerks and registrars of voters have told me is that the rule they are supposed to follow is the intent of the voter. So okay. I asked the, fol- the following very specific questions. I said, what if somebody misspells Yvonne? Because everybody misspells Yvonne. <laughs> and <laughs> several of them have told me that as long as it was discernible that the person was trying to write Yvonne, they would accept it. I said, what if they misspell my last name, Kittleson? And they said, again, same thing, as long as it was essentially close enough and they could tell that the person was trying to write in my name, that they would accept that as valid. And I, I asked a follow-up question. I said, uh, since my lawn signs and my slogan has been Yvonne for Sheriff. I said, what if somebody writes in Yvonne for Sheriff? Would you accept that? And I was told um, by several town clerks, yes, and especially because I'm the only Yvonne running for sheriff, luckily my name is not John or Mary, right? Something very simple and that there are not multiples of me, that they would accept that as valid as well. So that's good news.
1: That's great. So people just have to write your name.
2: They they have to write in my name. What makes it what would make it ideal would be my full name, Yvonne Gittelson, and my address, 47 Main Street, Goshen. And that's what would be out on the ballot. So I'm not disclosing anything that violates my privacy because it will be violated from um, <laughs> election day and already was <laughs> on primary day. And then even more ideally, they put a, a you know, some sort of X or a circle in an X. Uh, signifying that they're voting for me. But simply the act of writing in is is considered, you know, an affirmative intention to vote for me.
0: And are you getting uh, 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 I think some candidates like when they're doing write ins, get stickers to put on there? Are you doing? Yeah. That or?
2: We're, yes, we're going to do probably a variety of some different approaches uh, since some uh, most, I believe, of the towns in Hampshire County. With the exception of Northampton, Amherst, and East Hampton, I believe, they use scanners. So for the paper ballot folks, stickers would be absolutely the easiest thing to provide for them. But what we may also do is simply print up, you know, little pieces of paper that show what the ballot will look like and an arrow and, you know, write (laughs) this information there and hand that out to people on a nice, bright neon piece of
1: paper. So uh I know that the hope is a huge landslide uh ticker tape parade um maybe uh sky riding or something like that what but do you mean
2: what? hope that's that's the certainty
1: John <laughs> Yeah oh that's certainty oh wow okay um <laughs> but really uh I'm sure that you've talked to people about this uh even before you decided to run as a write-in. What do you think, um, reasonably, like, what do you think your chances are?
2: Um, It's That's really hard to say. Uh, I am hopeful that this, you know, again, I'm coming back to the fact that more people voted not him than voted for him. So I'm hoping they all come my way and that we have a repeat of that, you know, that breakdown. I'm also really, really hoping to pick up some of the folks in Sue's camp who are outraged by the fiscal malfeasance that we now know has been going on on a number of different levels. That that piece of it will be um, so offensive that they will come my way as well, because I'm a tightwad when it comes to paying taxpayer money. And I think it's, I'm offended that, uh, the incumbent returned a quarter of a million dollars in education grant funding.
0: Hmm. Wow. Well, there's certainly more to talk about, and this is going to be a race that we'll be following with great interest. Uh, I remind our listeners that election day is, uh, three weeks and, uh, a few days, three and a half weeks or so from the airing of this show. Uh, so, uh, please do turn out and vote. You've got until the 29th of October to register if you aren't already, so please do that. And, uh, and I hear the music. So, uh, oh, I uh, remember,
1: I actually got my mail-in vote, my mail-in ballot uh, a few days ago. Check your if you've requested mail-in ballots. Check your mail. Make sure that you that you've been getting them. And if not, and if you need a, a mail-in ballot, then contact your your local town hall, city hall, just to make sure
3: they'll replace it will they replace it if you don't have one
1: I don't know just go talk to them <laughs> I'm not like a ballot doctor or anything
3: <laughs>
1: good to know the I... mail's
3: been so bad the reason I asked the mail's been terrible it goes everywhere and you get it two months later so
0: well anyway. well, something to look into um, early good voting luck, of Yvonne. course I think starts the 24th so uh, plenty of time to do some early voting if you want to do that but thank you for joining us Yvonne Gittleson and uh, good luck
2: Thank you. Always
0: a pleasure right. to join you guys. Right. And yvonne sheriffcom is uh, the website if people it. want to learn more. All right,
2: That's
0: it. Thank you. Well, thank you for joining us. Coming up next is Subculture, followed by Table of Contents at 10 and then OK Asia at midnight. Uh, we've got a podcast of the show going out tomorrow morning and a repeat broadcast Monday afternoon at 4. Thanks for listening to Civil Politics here on Valley Free Radio. Good night. Civil Politics is a member of the Planetside Podcast Network. To learn more, go to planetsidepodcasts.com.